Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2018-2019 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. On today's show, we will recap the four-game winning streak by Wichita State. We'll get Taylor's thoughts on if this is a new bunch of shockers or just an ease in the schedule. We'll also get you ready for Sunday's matchup at Cincinnati. To help preview the Bearcats, we'll be joined by Scott Springer, who covers Cincinnati for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Great show coming up for you. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. First of all, Taylor, just to have you, good to have you back in the saddle here. We're on the road last week, and what was it like being in Philly? You saw the battle of two old shockers in Fred versus Landry, and then you're right there to break the news, Landry traded to the Clippers. Yeah, I actually had my story written, and uh, I had an early flight to catch the next day, so I went to sleep and woke up early and then uh, and saw the Woj bombs, so... Had to rewrite my whole story. That was uh, that was fun in the airport, but um, yeah, it was really cool, you know, to go up there. You know, Philly has a great environment. That was obviously a great game between two of the best uh, in the Eastern Conference, and uh, you know, not only did they play against each other, but they guarded each other too a lot. That was pretty cool to see too, and you could kind of see them talking smack back and forth. And uh, I talked to them before the game, and they said that you know they used to guard each other that one year they were together before Landry got hurt and they would go back and forth and you know who knew that would be you know an eventual battle of you know two NBA guards so that's that was pretty cool and uh, yeah you know Landry he's uh, he had a great situation in Philly and uh, I know he was a little bummed but you know he loves LA and if you saw him play that first game with the Clippers certainly showed out yeah, yeah it's the Celtics yeah. yeah he's he's gonna be a great fit for them and the, the Clippers love him so that's, that's going to be a good spot for him in the future. Well, let's turn the focus back to this year's team. Currently on a four-game winning streak, they go from 1-6 and six in conference to 5-6 and six in conference, currently seventh place in the AAC. And my overall question for you is probably the question that a lot of Shocker fans are asking themselves this week as we take a little time off looking forward to the game at Cincinnati on Sunday. Was this just a flash in the pan? The schedule eased up. They played the bottom tier of the conference. Or can you see the actual improvement mainly with some of these freshmen or newcomers to this Shocker program. Yeah, I mean, that's that's tough to say, you know, without seeing them do it on the road. You know, you saw the baby step at East Carolina. Uh, that was obviously their best game on the road. I thought Dexter Dennis uh, lights out defensive performance on a, you know, all-conference caliber post and, and Jaden Gardner, and I think that was a flash of maybe what we see next year because, you know, Dexter guarding the four, uh, really, really impressive, and maybe it was just because he didn't have to chase him over the perimeter, but was able to limit his fouls, and, and he really did a good job. So I think we could see Dexter as a small ball four next year, and that's uh, kind of a sign of things to come. But, uh, you know, in terms of whether or not uh, this team took a step, it's just hard to say because, you know, these are the four games I expected them to win. Uh, now, you know, you go on the road, at Cincinnati, you know, nobody's expecting them to win there. That's fine. But you, you obviously want to compete, uh, maybe something similar to what we saw against Houston. Um, and then the next one at Tulsa, that's that's kind of the swing game. You know, uh, Tulsa's really, really good at home. But I think Wichita State has more talent. So uh, that's going to be a game that, you know, if you can steal that one, that's a serious sign of growth. And, you know, those final six games of the season, that's going to tell a lot about this team, you know, just how far they can go uh, keep this momentum going. Well, you talk about the final six games of the season. The Shockers go on the road at Cincinnati this Sunday, which we'll cover that in depth in the second segment of the show. But then after that, they're at Tempest, at Tulsa, home versus Memphis, home versus UConn, at SMU, 
home against ECU, and then at Tulane. So those last two, of course, you think they're going to have a win, but those those four in the middle there between Cincinnati and the final two against ECU and Tulane, that's really where the, the season comes down to there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you expect them. They should win at home. Uh, you know, Memphis and UConn are, are two teams that are in, in the middle, but, you know, Wichita State against the middle, they should get the job done at Coke Arena. Uh, as you mentioned, East Carolina and Tulane should take care of, so that's four right there. So really it just comes down to can they still win on the road at Tulsa or at SMU. I, uh, you know, that's that's really what it's going to come down to. I think they, they should win at least four. If they can win five, if they can win six, now you're talking about moving up in the in the conference, you know, seeding, and, you know, you can start thinking about that where – you know, how crazy is that, that we're having this conversation? You know, a lot of people were ready to, you know, just uh, tune this season out, say play the young guys after they started 1-6, and six, and uh, kind of wanted to pull the plug. And, uh, you know, for the people who have stuck it out and, and uh, you know, stuck with this team, you know, they're, they're giving them something to be excited about. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if they, can, if they can turn the corner, you know, I think the ceiling, you know, maybe they, they do win, you know, five of the last six and, and really turn this season around and, uh, wouldn't that be something if they end up, you know, ten and eight or, or eleven and seven? When you look at the home games against Memphis and UConn, those are obviously very important swing games. But Memphis and UConn combined between the two of them have one true road victory, and I think that's big. So they're very much different between home and road games. And then you're looking at UConn, and they just lost Jalen Adams for an extended period of time. I don't know how long. He's, I think, four weeks or something like that. So he's going to be out for a while, likely going to be out of that game. So, you know, other teams are kind of struggling with some injuries now. You know, Wichita State, you know, aside from Echenique and Udeze, you know, their, uh, their injuries, mostly healthy at, at this point, knock on wood. But uh, certainly I think those are a big deal to, to making a step forward. Yeah, and Memphis has just been horrendous on the road. Uh, very, very good at home, but, yeah, a completely different team on the road. So uh, that's why I expect, you know, WSU shouldn't have problems taking care of those two teams at home uh, at, at Coke Arena. So really, you know, the X-Factor games uh, down the stretch here at Tulsa at SMU. We talk about these road games, and producer Brian actually brought this a, a little bit up on last week's show, but wanted to talk with you because you're probably the the best person to talk to, or one of the best person to talk to. Uh, as I'm the far best as person going on the road in the AAC. So I've been to a few road environments. I've been at Tulsa, I've been at SMU, going to be at Tulane here in a couple weeks. But you you've been just about everywhere. So as far as that, you know, home court advantage that we maybe take for granted sometimes here in Wichita, going to be heading to a great environment at Cincinnati on Sunday some of the best places in the conference what do you see that as yeah I mean I think uh, maybe it's just because I've seen the most games at Coke Arena but I definitely think that's the the loudest place uh, in the AAC without a doubt um, you know don't count out Memphis though you know that that crowd uh, you know they have 15,000 strong now you know people are really excited about Penny um, I think they have the most. Uh, and then you look at, you know, Cincinnati. Uh, they're going to have a raucous crowd uh, this weekend. They do a good job of, of supporting that team. So I think those three, you know, UConn, when they're into it, um, you know, they played it in, in stores uh, this year. And, you know, they had a really good atmosphere. It was just kind of tiny. Um, but, um, you know, I think those three are really the only ones that give you a significant, you know, home court advantage. You know, Houston has a really, really nice arena, but, you know, they struggle to fill it. Uh, UCF, USF, about the same. You know, none of those other teams at the top really have much of a home court advantage, I would say. So, you know, the only ones that really, really make a difference, I would say, in the conference, you know, you probably go Wichita State 1, Cincinnati 2, um, Memphis 3, and then uh, probably UConn 4, I guess. I mean, those are probably the, the top four rowdiest cra uh, fan bases, I would say. Now, do the crowds have a different dynamic to them? Because I just kind of wonder how much of a difference it makes on when, you know, your crowd is up for you and gets excited. Is the crowd responding to good, positive play, or is the crowd almost trying to pull the team along and get them going in those environments? Kind of something I've seen more this year, it seems like. Yeah, well, year. I haven't uh, – so we, we haven't been to Cincinnati uh, in the new gym, so we'll have to see how that's laid out. Last year – when we went, they played at Northern Kentucky, so um, it, that, the jury's still out on that. But uh, UConn, their crowd is certainly different because 
you know, such a big part of their uh, crowd is made up of the student section. So uh, they had a great student section at that game. And that was the part that stuck out to me at UConn. Um, you know, Cincinnati, we'll have to see. And then Memphis, you know, obviously those fans are just so starved for, you know, any any semblance of, of good basketball. They were just uh, ready to go and uh, very impressive, you know, uh, filling up an NBA arena. So, uh, you know, obviously they get behind the Tigers at home. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that one, you know, there's just nothing really similar to Wichita State. It's such a unique, I guess, atmosphere compared to most college basketball places. And, um, you know, I think Memphis comes close, but, you know, it's just hard to, to, to be that loud when the arena is so big. And then with UConn, you know, they just don't have the same kind of crowd as Wichita State. So, And we'll see uh, what Cincinnati has to offer this weekend. Fifth third arena, another new arena that Taylor will get to see. Moving back towards the games that we had this past week, we saw the Shocker seniors lead the way in both games with the wins over East Carolina and Tulane. Samaje has 18 against East Carolina. McDuffie adds 14. And then in the game against Tulane, McDuffie scores 25, currently leading the conference in scoring. So, Taylor, my, my question for you is, you know, I think we're going to get about 15 to 20 every single game from McDuffie. Let's say we get 7 to 10 from Samaje. Do they just need, you know, just two or three players outside of that to step up and give them just a little bit of offensive production, and that'll lead to the greater success here later in the year? Yeah, really, you know, everyone's uh, keying in on Marcus. You know, he's he's been good for, you know, eight, he's averaging 18, 19 a game this season. So uh, he's been excellent for the Shockers, uh, shooting 39% from three. Uh, Samaje a little bit more spotty you know he has really good really good games like East Carolina where I thought he played almost a flawless game out of the pick and roll shots yeah for seven shots played really well out of the pick and roll and I even saw some people kind of criticizing him for not throwing passes Um, uh, I guess the counterpoint to that though is you know how many did uh, Mikar drop how many did he kind of fumble and you know, just because he, he looks open, that doesn't mean the angle is there to pass it to him always. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind, too. I thought after watching that on tape, I thought Samaje played really, really well um, for game. And, uh, but then he has too many games where he kind of, you know, disappears and you kind of forget about him. And uh, that's okay because, you know, WSU is winning and obviously other people are stepping up. But, you know, Marcus has been that constant. Uh, you know, Echenique has been pretty solid. Um I think we've talked a lot about the point guard position. Burton has really stepped Burton's up the really, last yeah. couple of weeks and, and at least developed more of a consistent jumper. Yeah, yeah, he's looking way more comfortable, way more confident. I think that's a big part of his game is, you know, just uh, believing that shot's going to go down. And, uh, you know, teams are giving him that jumper. And, and uh, if he can keep hitting that, then, you know, people are going to have to start playing up on him. And it's going to open up the floor and uh, open up driving lanes for him. And, you know, Eric Stevenson, Dexter Dennis, both those guys are kind of the same. You know, both of them are capable of going for 15-plus, and uh, they're, they're kind of the X-factors. You know, if Eric has that, that stroke going, and uh, kind of the same with Dexter. I mean, he's become more of a three-point shooter now lately, too. So, uh, you know, if those guys are hitting from the outside, that's a huge, uh, huge plus for Wichita State. You know, they're starved for offense outside of Marcus and Samaje. So, uh, you know, as much as those, those freshmen can provide, uh, the ones that you mentioned, Jamarius, uh, Dexter, Eric, uh, as much as they can provide, that's that's huge for uh, WSU. I would like to see a little more decisiveness on, on some of the shooting because you see players almost trying to give up a, a good shot to try and get the great shot and end up taking a bad shot. You know? It is so. bizarre because uh, there was one last game where I remember that Marcus caught it and wide open at the top Just of the shoot key. It. Yeah, and it's like he, he shoots so many tough shots that are – you know, where he just shoots over people on the, the wing or, or, you know, fade away, and he's, you know, eager to shoot those. And it's just, like, bizarre to see him pass up a look like that. And I know Stevenson had a couple, too, where hesitated and, uh, you know, he's open if he if he steps into it in rhythm and uh, just, you know, hesitates, passes it up, and, you know, the, the WSU ends up settling, like you said, for a, for a bad shot. I think that's a, a symptom of, you know, shooters got to just shoot. And, and I know Stevenson in his situation, he missed a couple, but he's open. You just got to shoot it because that's what he's in there for. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just a case of them thinking too much. And uh, I kind of talked to Jamarius about that in that story I did on him. 
uh, about you know how the game slows down and you stop thinking and you're just out there doing. You're out there just playing the game of basketball, the same game you've been playing your whole life. And I think some of these guys maybe they're thinking a little bit too much about making the right play and just instead of just you know letting instincts take over and you know making the same plays they've made their whole life. Well, let's talk about defense a little bit. Wichita State opened the second half against Tulane on a 9-0 run, and they didn't allow Tulane to score until that 14-minute mark. So the fans at Charles Koch Arena had to stand up for a long time in the second half on Sunday. We maybe don't give the credit to the defensive end that we should in comparison to some of the defensive lapses that we saw with last year's ball club. So, you know, what have your thoughts been defensively? They, they certainly seem like they're the aggressor more often. Yeah, yeah. Marshall was pretty furious at halftime about WSU's effort, uh, the rebounding, getting to loose balls, just the how locked in they were on the defensive end, and you know they let you know a pretty bad Tulane team stick around. You know at halftime, you know Marcus has 18. I think they had uh, uh, shot like 45 percent. He scored 20. I think he had a 20 piece in the. Yeah, first maybe. And uh, you know. When that happens, you have to be up by more than you know six on on the last place team in the AAC. Zero and, and nine in conference coming in. Yeah, the, you know they just let them live at the foul line, and that was you know one of the the keys to the game. Don't foul, don't let them shoot free throws, and uh, that's exactly what Wichita State did. It just wasn't a very detailed, um, you know, first half defensively, and Marshall got into them. And they responded. And, you know, the question is, you know, of, of course, you know, it's good to hear that Marshall still has it. You know, the players still respond to him. But, you know, on the other Maybe side. it's the yellow jerseys, though. Yeah. Not wearing this glasses. If you listen to Stevenson, yeah, it's the, it's the yellow jerseys and no glasses for Greg. Um, somebody asked him about that today, and he said that he purposely hides them. Uh, so he has his own uh, superstitions. But. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's all, that's all great and that's, that's, uh, fine, but, you know, it's a little concerning that, you know, the, you know, you're on a three game winning streak, you're at home, you know, that's a, a game you need to take care of business. And the fact that it got to that point that Marshall had to go into his bag and, you know, bring out that fiery halftime speech, that's a little concerning that they weren't able to bring a better effort, but, you know, in the end, you know, you can't for where this team has been, you know, feels kind of silly to be complaining about a 15-point win. We've already talked about McDuffie scores the 25 points against Tulane. This was the 10th 20-point game of the season for Marcus. So my question to you, Taylor, is has he played himself into a first-team all-conference selection? Uh, he would be He would be on my ballot for sure. I think uh, if you look at the context of what he has done and, you know, the unbalanced scoring, and really there hasn't been a, a consistent number two. I know Samaje has, has uh, you know, been double figures averaging, but, you know, he's been, uh, you know, he's disappeared some games too, and, you know, Marcus really hasn't had a ton of help this year, and for her, for him to be putting up the averages that he's putting up, uh, to be shooting 39% from three is just uh, crazy to me. You know, if you think about the, the shot difficulty, the the quality that he's taking, he's having to take a lot of really, really tough shots. He's having to shoot over a ton of people. And, you know, 39%, that's, you know, that's, that's Connor Frankamp level of shooting right there. And uh, really, really impressive. And uh, just with the body of work that Marcus has done, you know, he's playing well on defense. You know, he's doing some of the details, doing the little things. And I think all that combined, I mean, I, I would have him fourth, fifth on my ballot, first team. And especially the way, you know, you look at Wichita State's going to end the season. They're going to have some positive momentum. I think he's going to have some some goodwill going into the, the postseason. So I think he's going to get the nod, especially if he ends up winning the scoring title. I think a lot of people are just going to look at that and, you know, put him on that first team just because, hey, he's the number one scorer in the conference. Team's currently 5-6 and six in conference. That's good for seventh place. We've already talked about that. Moving forward, you know, I think the number one goal has to be avoiding those last four spots and avoiding playing Thursday in the conference tournament. But, but beyond that, you know, kind of how do you handicap from here through the end of the year? What, what looks like success to you, or, or what's that goal you think the team should strive for? Well, as I've said, I think the, the what I expect from this team is to take care of business at home 
and went on the road at Tulane. So that's four wins. Uh, so finish out this year four and three. I think that's about what is expected of this team. If they go on the road and beat uh, Tulsa or beat SMU or Cincinnati uh, or Cincinnati, Don't get too crazy yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, any of those three games, if they if they're able to pull out a win, they would have exceeded expectations. And I think you you know depending you know the the schedule for USF gets really really tough from here on out. So I think they could start you know plummeting in the the, the league standings. They're tied for fourth right now. Memphis has to come to town. Memphis, yeah, Memphis is really struggling. Uh, Temple just doesn't have the depth. Um, they're still going to be good though. I think their schedule kind of eases up some. So. Uh, you're looking at you know maybe a ceiling of a five seed. You know if they play lights out, may, that that might require them winning two of those games on the road. Uh, maybe get to eleven wins. Uh, if they get to ten, though, you know you're looking at you know six seed at worst. And uh, compared to you know where this team was at the start of conference play, uh, pretty remarkable. Uh, you know just uh, thinking back to some of these Twitter comments that I got and. You know, people emailing me and saying like, "What? What are we paying Marshall all this money for? And why is Marcus Samaje playing? Uh, why are they taking so many bad shots? We should bench him and you know just start the freshman all all season." So to see you know the 180 uh, is pretty remarkable, and to see you know the job that Marshall has done, he's kept his patience. You know, he's working with these guys, and now you know you're seeing you know signs of growth. You're seeing them seeing improved play. And uh, now we're going to really see it these last three weeks to see just how far this team has come. Last question, if you had to point to one thing and said between now and the end of the year what they need to improve on the most, what would that be? Shooting. You know, you just got to keep making shots. Uh, I think that's the number one thing for this team. I know Marshall loves to say defense and rebounding uh, win games, but, you know, honestly, uh, even if you play lights out on both of those, you know, you have to make shots at the end of the day. And, you know, that's where this team has struggled more than, you know, probably any other Wichita State team is, is making shots. And, you know, outside, mid-range, uh, bunnies, you know, anywhere, pick your poison. Uh, you know, WSU has struggled from shooting. And, uh, you know, I think that's the biggest thing that they need to improve on is uh, you're starting to see them, you know, uh, improve the tempo, get better shots, starting to make those shots now. And I think uh, that confidence is starting to click. And, you know, if these guys uh, start, you know, putting it together and sustain that success, uh, then then you're going to see them start winning games, you know, if they start scoring, you know, 70-plus every game. Producer's note here, it's only the top four teams that will get a bye to the conference tournament. So barring some crazy run by Wichita State here at the end, they're looking at playing in the first round. But certainly I think if the they can approve their seeding, They'll get it. They can get a better draw. Yeah, absolutely. I think the 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 the, the crucial part is don't finish seven eight because if you if you do that, even if you win, you're gonna have to play Houston or Cincinnati. Those are the two teams you do not want to play in the tournament until you know as long. Yeah, until you have to. So if you can get if you can get that five six, you know, then you're looking at an easy win over ECU or Tulane, and then second round Central Florida or you know Temple. Those are two teams that, you know, Wichita State knows it can beat. So um, that would be a game changer if they, they can hold on for that five or six seed down the stretch. Something to watch. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get you ready for Sunday's matchup at Cincinnati. Joining us first will be Scott Springer, who covers the team for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We'll move now into our preview of Sunday's matchup at Cincinnati. The game tips at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Central, and we be broadcast on ESPN. Joining us now to help preview the Bearcats is Scott Springer, who covers the team for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Scott, how are you today? I'm pretty good. I'm not as angry as you guys, though. <laughs> well, we appreciate you taking the time. I want to start at Sunday's game at Houston. I think you had a lot of fans around the American Conference looking at that game between the really the top two teams in the AAC this year. Run us through. I mean, were you pleased overall with Cincinnati's effort? Did you think the game, you know, had the outcome that uh, both sides deserved? Or I guess what what was the overall feeling of the team after that game moving forward? 
Well, I'm sure the team's not happy at all. I, I would say if you talked to most Cincinnati fans and told them coming out of the road stretch that they would grab one of the of the two games because you had to go to Memphis first. Memphis had only lost at home to number one Tennessee, and, and they pulled that one out. And then uh, then you had to go to Houston, who has the, the one loss on the road at Temple. And so all things considered, I don't think Cincinnati fans are, are – you know, jumping off any bridges or anything here. But, uh, you know, it was a winnable game. And bottom line, if you don't score in the last six minutes and 11 seconds of a game, you're not going to win. They they took a lead on a three-pointer by Cumberland, didn't score again. So credit to Houston, uh, scrappy team. Mick Cronin said it's the best team he's faced. And, uh, you know, I, I was really shocked at, at, at how I, I heard that they were a great rebounding team and, and had seen it, uh, or, you know, seen it on TV, but seen it in person. And uh, it, it was crazy. And, you know, their top rebounder, Armani Brooks, all, all of 6'3", he pulls down 12 rebounds. And Cincinnati's got some pretty big dudes. So pretty impressive performance on the boards, I thought. Yeah, and Jaron Cumberland, I mean, he's been playing at an all-conference level, maybe player of the year uh, level this year. But who are some guys outside of Cumberland that you think can, you know, impact the game on Sunday? Well, that's what they really need if you watch them. You know, they, they tend to go to Jaron, and why wouldn't you? But uh, they really need another guy to consistently score. For the most part, it's been Keith Williams, and he's around 10, 11 points a game. And he, he's uh, he drives to the bucket really good. His outside shot is kind of off and on, and it was off on Sunday. He was 0 for 5. Uh, when he's scoring, when Justin Jennifer is shooting, and Jennifer didn't even score Sunday, Jennifer – I'm not sure where it is right now, but he was leading the AAC in, uh, in three-point shooting up, field goal percentage-wise. So he doesn't score a ton, but he's a decent outside shooter. And then you have Kane Broom off the bench who's capable of scoring also. So if any of those guys kick it in or, or either one of the big guys, uh, Brooks is not so much a scorer. Uh, Scott, on occasion, you know, does pretty good. But really, Cumberland needs the help because when it becomes one-dimensional with any team, it's going to be very, very difficult. Last year, Wichita State was able to snap Cincinnati's 39-game home court winning streak, which at the time was the longest in the nation. Cincinnati returned the favor at Coke Arena and ended up winning the regular season AAC title. I think I know where Wichita State fans stand, but from your perspective, do Cincinnati fans see this as a rivalry or at least a, a rivalry that could become here in the next couple years? And what type of atmosphere can we expect at uh, Cincinnati on Sunday? Well, they've been drawing really good crowds. Uh, you know, it seats 12,000 in the new configuration that they've just redesigned the arena. So they've had a lot of people that have come out, number one, to see the arena. And then number two, the team's playing pretty good. So I would suspect you would get at least 11, if not 12. I'm not, I haven't seen the attendance figures lately, but it seems like there's been a lot of games here recently that had you know standing room only seats now at your place it's crazy it's you know it's ten thousand every game so anyone has their hands full in there that that was uh quite an experience to be there i, I did catch a t-shirt though i was really proud of myself they shot one right to me um but yeah it, it'll be crazy at cincinnati and in terms of rivalry wise um i you know do you wish, wish you had last years two teams because those guys both of them were really really good and those were knockdown drag outs this year's games you know not taking anything away from either team but they're not quite the same not quite the same talent level Cincinnati still has two starters back you guys have McDuffie um you know you saw the same game I, I saw in Wichita and that, that game changes with uh, six straight free throws otherwise it's it's a pretty tight game so in this league, I mean, as you know, you go on the road, you can't take anything for granted or you'll get beat. Um, you know, Cincinnati had a crazy loss to East Carolina to start in January, and you just really never know what's going to happen. But it, it should be a tight game. Uh, every game becomes very important at this point in time, and you don't know who's going to knock you off because crazy things happen. Yeah, you mentioned the six straight free throws, and you know that that game definitely turned chippy, and you know some of that had to do with you know Wichita State's frustration over the the officials, but also I think there was something you know between Wichita State 
and Cincinnati. Did you kind of get that sense, you know, after the game, talking to the players or the coaches uh, that, you know, there is, you know, some kind of, you know, maybe not rivalry, but just, you know, these are two competitive teams, two teams that play similar styles. And, you know, I don't think they really like each other. Yeah, um, but really not so much any more than any other team. I mean, I, I think over time it, it's going to be a, a really good rivalry because uh, Wichita State's only going to get better. Cincinnati assumably would stay around the same. But, you know, they're, they're new to the league as far as Cincinnati fans um, and, and the UC players and, and whatnot. So it, these rivalries have to develop because, you know, Cincinnati was previously in the Big East, and then you had knockdown dragouts there every night. And uh, you know they used to play Louisville, you know, all the time. That was a, a pretty heated rivalry right here in town. Xavier they play every year, an in-town matchup, and that's probably the biggest rivalry they have overall. But you know, in league, Wichita State certainly has the the, the makings of, of, of being a, a better one. I, I'd, I'd say right now, based on just what happened Sunday, you see really would want to get back at Houston. But, you know, to get to Houston, number one, you got to play Wichita State Sunday. you got to play Central Florida coming up. You still have quite the gauntlet of, of the uh, schedule coming up here. So, you know, like we were saying, you, you got to take care of business on the next day or, or what happens in a week or so might not matter. You bring up Houston. They come to town to Cincinnati for the final game of the regular season. Cincinnati currently just one game back in the loss column. Is the goal for this team, in your opinion, still to win this conference? I would think so. I mean, uh, you, you want to defend your title. You, you know, it's tough to win the conference and then tough to win the tournament. But uh, they were able to do both last year. And uh, I think it would be pretty amazing considering what they lost Uh you know, you lose three guys, two to the NBA and one's in the G League and uh, uh, off your starting lineup. And I know you guys lost guys, too. So um, it, it's a bit of a surprise that they're playing as well. It's not a surprise that they're having a good season, um, but it's been a surprise somewhat to me that, that they've got 20 wins already. And they pulled out a couple of games on the road that you just didn't see happening. I mean, you're down 13 at Temple in the second half and then you're down 11 at, at Memphis in a very, you know, in front of 16, 17,000 people. And uh, so they, they've been pretty resilient on the road overall outside of the, the blemish there at East Carolina, which is very puzzling, but so they, they found, a, you know, they have found ways to, to win games. So that's encouraging and we'll see what happens from there. Well, Cincinnati's 14 and one at home this season, get a week off just like Wichita state. Our listeners can follow Scott on Twitter at Sports. You can also read his work at Cincinnati.com. Thanks so much for taking the time, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, and uh, say hello to the fine folks at Hog Wild Barbecue and um, what's Spicy Barbecue. I hit both those places and got a belly full. Barbecue connoisseur, Scott Springer. Now into our own preview of Sunday's matchup at Cincinnati. The Bearcats will come in at 20-4 on the year and 9-2 in the AAC. Their current Ken Palm ranking is 27. They lost at Houston this past Sunday, 65-58. Of course, they beat Wichita State 66-55 on January 19th in Wichita, a game that many said was decided more at the free throw line and by the guys in black and white than the players in their uniform. So, Taylor, when we look at this game on Sunday, I don't think a lot of folks are giving Wichita State too good of a chance to win. Cincinnati 14-1 and at home this year, only lost a non-conference loss against Ohio State. So what do you think about this matchup on Sunday? Yeah, if you remember, you know, before the technical fouls, you know, that was, you know, Wichita State was up. A two-point game. Yeah, you know, they were only down two, and then right before that, you know, they were up four, and you know, with like six minutes to play. And that was a game that, you know, it wasn't pretty, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. Those were two teams that really, really struggled on offense. But, you know, I think WSU can can gain some confidence when they watch that film back about, you know, how they guarded Jaron Cumberland and, you know, how they were able to limit 
Cincinnati in the in you know in the run of play. Um, you know where they struggled was obviously free throws, and you know even take away the the six free throws, and I, I think they've they uh, fouled at the end. I think uh, you had six more free throws on, so that's twelve. Take away those, they still shot twenty three free throws. So Wichita State just really really had problems. Uh, keeping their hands off and uh, you, you remember back you know they just had so many touch fouls on the perimeter uh, I went back and did a story on Kansas.com about you know how many fouls that Jaron Cumberland was able to draw off the ball I think he drew I think six fouls uh, without without the ball just WSU guys trying to cover him through through screens around screens and I think that's going to be the biggest uh, area for, for emphasis for Wichita stage just you know don't foul you know if we don't foul I mean, they they probably were up. They would have been up by you know maybe ten that game, and uh, you know obviously uh, Cumberland's not going to shoot you know five for for seventeen every game. But you know if you can limit him, you know Cincinnati is kind of in the same situation as Wichita State. You know they don't really have a proven second guy or a consistent number two, and uh, they rely a ton on Cumberland to to get the 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 you know the machine going, and he's really really good. He might be the most skilled offensive player in the conference, probably him or McDuffie. And uh, you know if if Wichita State can do a good job on him again, you know we saw Dexter Dennis do a good job shutting down East Carolina's number one option. Uh, you know it's going to be the next step for him to prove he can defend without fouling, and if he can uh, you know do a good job on Cumberland, that's step number one to you know. Uh, getting putting yourself in a in a situation to to win at Cincinnati. Cincinnati had won eight consecutive conference games before the loss at Houston this past Sunday. But the thing I'll point out is not all of these games were just blowouts. So it took them overtime to win at Tulsa. It took them overtime to beat UConn. They beat Temple by four. They beat Memphis by five. So a lot of these were close games coming down right to the bitter end. Loss at East Carolina. So, you know, this isn't a team that's invincible, and certainly the game at Wichita uh, proved that. As a team in conference play, they score 74.2 points per game, and they allow 66.3. They shoot at 43.2% from the field and 35% from three. You've already mentioned it, Jaron Cumberland. He's really their their number one go-to on the offensive end currently averaging 22.2 points per game in conference play. Yeah, he's uh, just an absolute stud. Um, you know, if you can limit him under 20, uh, you're probably going to give yourself a, a shot to win, and that should be uh, Wichita State's number one focus. You know, if, I, if I'm, if i you know, devising a game plan, I'm going to make anyone but Cumberland beat me, uh, even if that means, you know, helping off, you know, whenever he drives and uh, scraping down to help uh, and making him kick out. I want him kicking out and other guys making those shots and not him. And, you know, Cincinnati, I mean, they have guys that, that can make those shots, but, uh, you know, same as Wichita State. I mean, they've been super inconsistent this year. And, uh, you know, just as much as you want to say Eric Stevenson, you know, he's capable of making that shot. But then you look at the percentages and, like, wow, he's shooting 32% for the year. So, um, you know, same thing with Cincinnati. They have guys, but they've been inconsistent. And, you know, job number one is to, to try to limit Cumberland. Don't let him live at the foul line like he did the first time at Coke Arena. And, uh, you know, just compete on the compete on the boards. And uh, like you said, you know, Cincinnati's not blowing anybody out. Uh, they don't have the firepower like they, they used to. So uh, I don't think, you know, this is a game where, where Wichita State should, you know, be scared that, like, hey, they, they're going to rip off a 10-0 I know Eric run. Stevenson's not scared of them. I'll yeah, tell you that. Eric Stevenson. Hopefully the rest of the squad's not scared <laughs> of him either. Yeah, maybe Especially can... Jerron Cumberland. I ain't scared of you. Yeah, maybe he can give the, the pregame hype speech. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, I I don't think they're they're scared of you know Cincinnati ripping off like a 14-0 run or something like that. So, uh, you know, I expect another defensive grinded out game. Uh, maybe another one that's not very uh, pretty to watch. But you know, I think the uglier it gets, I think it's actually favors Wichita State if they can get it. You know, a game in the 50s. I think that's uh, that's where they want this one. And that's honestly something we've seen in in so many of Cincinnati's close games, and we talked about it before the game in Wichita is that they're not built to just blow you out and run away with the game. They they are just going to have to grind it out because of their style of play. And so I think that that's why you see them in so many tight battles and overtime games. Yeah, and uh, Ken Palm has this one projected for 63 possessions. So, you know, not a lot. Um, you know, so Cincinnati, if they get to 70, you know, that's, that's not good for Wichita State. So they want to keep this one low 60s, high 50s. That's where the, that's the sweet spot for Wichita State. 
I will say in these past few weeks, and maybe it's just because they've been playing lower competition, but they have been limiting their turnovers a lot more. They're, you know, it seems like they're taking care of the basketball a little better, which will be key in this game. Uh, Cincinnati has a turnover margin of plus 3.6 per game. They also have a rebounding margin of plus 4.9. So like you said, Taylor, I think really this battle comes down to the glass, limiting the offensive rebound opportunities for Cincinnati, taking care of business uh, on the glass for the Shocker Big men will be key yeah and uh, I think that's a great point that you know the point guard play is definitely trending in the right direction and uh, that's been a concern all season long you know they they really haven't found uh, really you know the whole non-conference never really settled into anyone and uh, even the starter conference you know they were kind of up and down and all over the place and now uh, WSU's kind of found a a good rhythm here with Jamarius Burton leading the way and uh, I like the way, uh, like you said, I mean, he's more confident shooting the ball now, and uh, he, he's so good, you know, attacking and using that big body to kind of play bully ball uh, down low on, on smaller guards, and, and then you bring Ricky Torres off the bench, and, you know, he, he's kind of that lightning quick, you know, he's he's so good in the pick and roll, and, you know, he finds those rollers so well, probably, definitely the best on Wichita State, and uh, then you have Samaje, too, to play uh, plays you know, spot minutes whenever you need someone that can, you know, create their own shot at the point guard position. And I think this is probably the best, you know, point guard, the the best position, the point guard position has been in uh, all, all year for sure. They've uh, strung together a lot of good games now. Uh, Ricky, five assists, no turnovers last game. And then Jamarius, the, the three games before that was just lights out. So um, definitely trending in the right direction and uh, not a coincidence that Wichita State has is, is won four in a row. Eight days between games for the Shockers, so their full attention will be on Cincinnati all week. Only issue, Cincinnati has seven days off. They play Sunday against Houston and won't play until Sunday against Wichita State. If you had to make a prediction, who do you got? I'm going to go. I don't think Wichita State is uh, ready to to go on the road uh, against a top-two team and pull off the win yet. Um, I do think they're going to, you know, ugly this one up, and I do think it will be, uh, you know, a more competitive game this time around. But I'm going to go Cincinnati. You know, I'll go 65-58, uh, something like that. I will state my talk-angry reputation on this prediction. Some in this room, Producer Brian, didn't believe it was attainable. The Shockers will win on Sunday wow. by two, 61 to 59. You heard it here first. So wow. does that mean that you're going to be the producer next week and I'm going to sit I don't know how to work all those fancy <laughs> machines that you have, but I can sure talk into your microphone. Who hits the game winner? <laughs> Who hits the game winner? Winner, I will say Dexter. Wow. Dexter Dennis. I think it'll be Samaje if anybody. He's a heart. He, he mm, rips people hearts. I don't out. like him in there with the big tall trees. You know, you need mm. to pass it out for a late second shot. Uh, yeah. Well, he had that circus. But that English. Yeah. I'm He's familiar got that English. with the English. SMU's <laughs> a little different ball game than at Cincinnati. <laughs> Buy or sell time, producer Brian. All right. Well, I'm gonna keep the trend going. So you mentioned Dexter's gonna be the guy to hit the game-winning three against Cincinnati. That's your prediction. So in the same vein, buy or sell, the first freshman to break out on the road will be Dexter Dennis as far as just great game, scoring, being an impact player all the way. I'm going to I'm gonna sell that. I have a hunch that's going to be uh, Stevenson this game. I think Dexter, you know, his number one job right now is defense, and I think he's going to be locked into that. Um, you know, whatever offense he provides, that's just added bonus. So, you know, I think he'll be solid, you know, five, eight points, somewhere like that. But I think Stevenson has a better chance to, you know, go off 15 plus this game. As far as overall impact, I will buy that because I think Dexter has really, you know, been doing great on the defensive end these last couple weeks, limiting his fouls. Uh, and and has been a game changer even you know this last game against Tulane on his 20th birthday. I will agree with Taylor as far as an offensive explosion. Probably see that from Stevenson first. All right. So with this week being a long layoff, we've heard from Marshall that he's going to be spending some time recruiting, doing some traveling. So buy or sell, Greg Marshall is still recruiting for 2019. Oh, I 100% buy that. You know, that, that's not even a question. In my mind. Yeah, that's buy. He's. Uh, I think. You could see them add at least one, maybe two more to 2019. 
Okay, one other one. Going back to our post players, we know Morris Udeze's been injured with the shoulder. He's, he's got that he's, Austin Reeves disease. He's got he's got an Austin <laughs> Reeves disease. He's so got, got the Reeves disease. So that's that's actually kind of my segue. Wichita State has some experience in dealing with this, and they've got a situation now where they've got Mitgard playing a little better, Echenique, and Poor Bear filling in those minutes. So buy or sell. Do you think that M Morris will redshirt for next season to rehab, get his shoulders stronger, get whatever surgeries he needs done? Because that actually staggers out all of the graduation years of their post players by herself. That's a that's an interesting point. I uh, you convinced me. I'm going to buy that. I think that's a good uh, way to look at it to stagger out the um, the classes. You know, I think Echenique is going to play. You know, people forget, you know, this guy's playing probably, you know, 70% of capacity right now. And when he was 100%, this guy was really, really good. So I think uh, offseason, he gets healthy. He's going to be a monster next year. Uh, you know, like you said, Meekard's playing a lot better. You saw Poor Bear. Um, I think they might add one more big. We'll see. Um, you got DeAntoni Gordon coming in. So, yeah, I mean, I think I like that idea now that you said that. Uh, you know, redshirt him next year, let him mature, let him grow. And, uh, yeah, he could definitely be a uh, contributor down the down the road and, uh, you know, give him that, that added redshirt year. I, I like that idea. It's too bad Mickard couldn't have uh, redshirted because, really, he seems like he's coming on now in his sophomore season, had a career-high 11 rebounds against East Carolina. Especially if you listen to that guy yelling in the stands <laughs> last game. <laughs> Meegard's a star. Well, let's not get into that. <laughs> but <laughs> I will say I'll also buy that. I think, you know, Austin maybe should have taken a year off his sophomore year and, and uh, would have been in a little better position physically. But, you know, that's, that's what you got to do. So I think next year in particular they'll have a little more luxuries with the roster that they certainly didn't have this year. All right, and I'm going to put you on the spot. So we're reaching the precipice of this closing stretch. Wichita State's got some momentum. So buy or sell, Wichita State gets to 10 or more conference wins. I'm going to buy the hell out of that. I think they get exactly to 10 and 8, and that was my prediction last week, and I want to stay on brand. And so that's going to be my prediction at least until they have <laughs> nine conference losses. I'm going to sell that. I think uh, I went Ooh. with, with uh, <laughs> listen. It's the fake news here, folks. Fake you news know, media. probably 70% probably of fans, if not more, you know, ask them when they were one and six, you know, would you buy that? No one was buying that. And, you know, before the conference season, I said nine and nine. And when they went one and six, I said they're still going nine and nine. And right now I still think they're going nine and nine. So I'm going to stick with that, that prediction. And I think that's, uh, you know, a good expectation. Uh, I definitely think they can get to 10 wins. But if you're telling me, if you're asking me right now, I think they, they fall at nine and nine. And that's, you know, where I saw them all along. There it is, buy or sell. Just to wrap up the show, a little aftershocks discussion. I think we should bring this up, you know, every single show until we get to the spring here. So looks like uh, ticket sales are going well. Continue to add Gosh, I new get players to the roster. So, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, producer Brian needs to start buying some, and he can. If you see somebody scopping tickets outside of Coke Arena, that's probably me. It's gonna be him. <laughs> um, yeah, you know it's uh, crazy. You know, um, you know before it happened, when I knew, um, you know those guys were kind of asking me like uh, they were kind of worried like I don't I don't know if it's gonna be a big deal. I don't know like if Shocker fans are gonna be that excited, and I was like, trust me, they're gonna they're gonna be very excited to see you know Wichita State basketball you know, at its peak, you know, all those former players, they're going to be excited. And, you know, that's, it's been backed up with ticket sales. You know, they're, uh, you know, you add together the other seven regionals and Wichita State has still outsold everyone. So I'm going to be doing a story on that pretty soon. And uh, yeah, it's really crazy to see, you know, how much support there is uh, in Wichita. And it just goes to show, you, you know, it kind of gives you an idea of, you know, how Wichita State fans stack up. Uh, you know, across the country, and you know, no one else is doing this. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that this is going to be TBT records. They're going to shatter attendance records, shatter the the ticket sales, and um, you know, TBT is going to be begging these guys to keep playing every year because you know, Wichita is going to be a cash cow for them because you know, Wichita State shot. You know, Shocker fans love love these guys, and 
you know, this is before, you know, uh, if they can get somebody, you know, like uh, like a Fred or Landry or Ron, somebody like that to come back and just be a part of it, just be in Wichita uh, when it's going on. I think it's going to even push it even further over the top. And um, yeah, I mean, this thing wouldn't surprise me if it sells out, honestly, you know, this amount of uh, ticket sales and it's still, you know, five months out. Uh, it's pretty pretty impressive uh, showing by Wichita State fans. So, what do you do? You think this tournament's going to end up being a lot of playground ball, or do you think you know Wichita State with, you know, all these guys essentially played for Marshall, they kind of know a similar system or have a at least a similar vocabulary? Do you think it's structured, or do you think it's just kind of roll the balls out and try and you know outscore somebody? Yeah, I talked to to. Uh, Kron and uh, he acted like you know he's gonna try to put some sets in and he wants everyone there you know two or three weeks before um, but yeah I mean a lot of it's gonna be pretty loose uh, it's gonna be you know a lot of just you know pick and roll and you know two guys staying in a corner and and one guy you know pretty much just five out and uh, you know not as bad as you know playground ball but you know a lot of just like freelancing basically you know you put them in general stuff and you just let them uh, make the make the basketball decisions and uh, you know, there's plenty of talent on this team. I'm, I'm, I think they can make a deep run. We'll have to see, you know, what other teams end up in that region. But you know, Wichita State's roster is pretty strong. You also did a story this week on the Shocker Sound Machine. So just give the listeners thirty seconds on that story. Yeah, that's the the new marching band basically for the basketball. And uh, they made their their men's basketball debut, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, fans responded pretty uh, pretty well to it. You know, they got a nice applause, and they performed for you know about five minutes. Uh, about forty students. This is the first year they've done it, so uh, you know this is kind of the ground uh, ground floor, and they're looking to add uh, you know non music majors and uh, grow it from there. And they're going to be able to start offering scholarships next year, so that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, I think it adds uh, kind of a unique taste to, you know, the game day experience. I'd be curious, like, what what you guys thought as fans, you know, if you, you know, weren't getting snacks, weren't in the bathroom, what did you guys think of it? I thought they did really well for the setup. I thought it was kind of interesting because you're wondering, since it's not football, you don't have yard markers, how do you pull something off like this? So I thought it was interesting seeing them lay out cones at segmented uh, spacing so that they kind of had a frame of reference of, of where to be. Um, I thought it was good. The only thing I didn't like is from my seats, they were actually facing away from me most of the time. So you couldn't hear it as well uh, when you're behind them. So I, I wonder, do they need more people, more brass to essentially carry it? The drums are fine. You can hear Probably more cowbell. Find more cowbell. <laughs> exactly. Also, I really like their tattoo sleeves. <laughs> I was in the practice gym having drinks. <laughs> I can't speak to how they were, but great week of Talk Angry. Big game on Sunday at Cincinnati. Next week we'll be with you. We'll get you ready for the game at Tulsa and the home game against Memphis. little revenge that the Shockers have against the Tigers, who Taylor thought was going to do so well. Hopefully can surpass them in the same. So have a great week. We'll be back with you next week. And as always, greatest five stars.